Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 19. 2 Samuel 19, well, actually start about verse 24 is where we stopped last time. We're continuing our study of the nation of Israel and really seeing the life of David. David is a man, he's described really as a man after God's own heart. And uh, David, when you study the Bible, David is just incredible. However, David is the greatest king of Israel and, and great man, and, but he messed up, and he messed up with Bathsheba, and that, because of that, there are consequences, and uh, it, it, God actually told him there would, be, there would be trouble from his own household, and that's exactly what's been happening. Had rebellion with one son, and then now this other son by the name of Absalom uh, said he was going to take the kingdom, and David had to flee, and then there was a battle and all kind of things. So this morning, we're seeing David returning. The battle is over. David's team, David's army has won and they're on the way back. And, and so here's what we can put down. We can put that David had fled. Absalom, the son, took the city and then pursued David. And of course, in the war, David had his mighty men and they you know, really defeated him and uh, Absalom was killed in the battle. And now David is returning. Now he's left Jerusalem. He's crossed over the Jordan River going, going east. And now the battle is over. And he's about to come back across the Jordan River and to, to go back as the king. That's the plan. As he comes back this morning, as we're seeing him come back, we're going to see that he meets two people. He meets one named Methpibosheth. Most of you know who he is. We'll talk about it in just a second. And then he meets a guy named Barzillai. Now, Methpibosheth is Jonathan's son. David had a best friend. David's best friend was a man named Jonathan. And Jonathan had a son, had a number of sons, and David and Jonathan had made a deal. Jonathan said, if I die before you, David, you take care of my kids. David said, if I die before you, Jonathan, you take care of my kids. Jonathan got killed in the battle, and the only son left was named Mithpibosheth. He was crippled in his legs, and he couldn't walk. They had to carry him everywhere. And so David took him, brought him in, put him in, gave him land and everything, and then said, you may eat at my table for the rest of your life. And so David has taken care of Methpibosheth. We're going to see what happens here in just a minute. Then Barzillai is an older man. Uh, he's over 80 years old, and uh, he helped David as they were leaving to, to go, to, you know, to get ready for the battle, and we'll see what happens there. Also this morning, something you, you may not have thought about, but we're going to see the beginning of the vision of the nation that will one day be totally broken. If you study the Bible, you know that after David, Solomon became king, and after Solomon became king, after Solomon died, the nation of Israel divided into two parts, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. Well, this is going to be some number of years down the road, but already... The division starts here, and we'll see it even this morning as we study our passage. So there's a lot going on. Let me give you some, just some ideas to think through as we study. We're going to talk about God's grace, and you know, you can never talk enough about the grace of God. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about relationships. We'll actually talk about rewards for service and then conflict, because that's what we're going to see at the end, the conflict, and we'll see how we deal with that. So there's a lot going on. Now, let's start with this. You know, when we're born in this world, we come into the world wanting to eat, and then we want to do whatever we want to do, and we cry to get, get our way, and then as we grow up, we want the same thing. We want things. We live in a materialistic culture, and the truth is this. We live in the richest culture in the world, richest place in the world. We all say, there's many of us that say, well, I'm not very rich. I'm, I'm really very poor, but if you went to any other part of the world, we'd all be rich. And, and so materialism is really tough, and, and a lot of people want things. Uh, I had a prof, uh, Hendry, uh, 
Prof. Hendricks at Dallas Seminary was my favorite professor, and he'd say this. He says, materialism has nothing to do with the amount. It has to do with the attitude. And the truth is this. Things never satisfy. You can get something, and you can think, okay, if I just had that, or if I just had that, that would be enough. But you get it, and it doesn't satisfy. Things can't satisfy. We're going to talk more about it as we go through what, what happens. We're, we're going to see this Mephibosheth, and he's going to lose everything, or he thinks he does. How does he respond to that? Does Mephibosheth care about things, or does he care about people? And we'll say it as we go through. So as we look at this now, David is coming back, and we're seeing David trying to bring everything back together. We're talking about the restoration of the kingdom to David, and he's trying to get everybody to come back. Now, we saw a couple of weeks ago, I've been gone for a couple of weeks, but we saw for a couple of weeks ago that when David started to come back, some people from the tribe of Judah That's David's own tribe. They didn't want him to come. Some people from Israel didn't want him to come, and that's the northern tribes. And then there were some who did, and so there was already conflict there. So David is trying to unite the people, and he did something that we would have never thought he would do. He did this. He appointed Amasa, the new general, under Abs- who was the general under Absalom to be his general. Now, if you remember, and let's just remind ourselves because you have to put, you have to get the history, you have to understand what's going on. David's general was Joab. Joab is David's nephew. Joab is a warrior. Joab is mean. You want Joab on your side. Joab does great things. Joab does bad things. Joab had been David's general, and now David takes Amasa, who was the general under Absalom when he was trying to rebel against David. He takes this man named Amasa, who was also his nephew, and says, you're going to be my new general in place of Joab. Now, we brought this up a couple weeks ago, and we said, how do you think that's going to go over with Joab? It's not going to go that good. But anyway, David does that, and he appoints him to be the general. And that was in chapter 19, verse 13. And, and we could say this, why would David do that? I think two things. One is for unity. He's trying to bring everybody together and to show that it's all forgiven. But there's a second thing, and I think he's punishing Joab. You know that Joab killed his son. When they got ready to go fight Absalom, David said to his generals, he said to Joab, Deal gently with my son, Absalom. Be careful with him. What David was saying is, don't kill him, bring him back. Well, they got there. uh, Absalom got hung up in a tree. Joab went up and killed him and tore him out of the tree, and a bunch of people just beat beat him to death. So Joab killed him, and the word got back to David. And so I think, just as you look at this, not only was David trying to bring the people together, but I think he's saying to Joab, you can't be my general anymore after what you did. It seemed to have worked because in, cha- in verse 14 of the, of the chapter, it says that the hearts of Israel turned together. They all became together. So it looks like it's going to work, or so we think. Let me give you, this is the outline of our passage this morning, and it looks long, but it's, we'll go through it fairly quickly. We're going to see Mephibosheth, there he is, and what happens when he meets David. We're going to see Barzillai, what happens when he meets David, and then we're going to see the conflict begins. And by the way, the conflict will always be there all the rest of the way until the major division when they divide between Israel 
and Judah. And we're going to see this. So let's meet the first guy. It's Mephibosheth. We know who he is. This is chapter 19, uh, 2 Samuel 19, verse 24. It says, Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. Now, Mephibosheth is coming out to meet David. They're about to cross over the Jordan River. Mephibosheth, I'm sure somebody brings him out there, he, you know, because he, he can't travel himself. And so they bring him out there, and it says that, uh, and by the way, this is, this is Jonathan's son, and uh, he's been loved by David. David take care, took care of him. David said, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you have land and everything else, and I'm going to feed you for the rest of your life because of what my promise to Jonathan, your father. So this is the way it's going to be. And, and now he's coming out to meet David. And, and you could tell that he was, in, he was like in mourning. You know, it says, uh, and by the way, here's what happened. The servant of Mephibosheth, Ziba came and told David earlier that Mephibosheth was staying and hoping to take the throne. If you remember when David was leaving, Ziba came. And Ziba actually was a servant of Mephibosheth. And David said, where's, Meth, where, where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba said, he, he thinks he's going to be the new king. Now, let me ask you something. Would you believe that? I wouldn't have believed it. I don't know why David believed it. Of course, David's running for his life and no telling what to think. And so Ziba tells him that, uh, that Mephibosheth was hoping to be the king. And we're, we're not going to, that's not, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But David thought that. And so when Mephibosheth comes, notice Mephibosheth is showing signs of mourning. He didn't uh, care for his feet. He didn't trim his mustache. He didn't wash his clothes. He's been in mourning since David was run off. That's basically what he's done. And then in verse 25, and this is, what, this is exactly what you think David would do. Verse 25, it was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Why did you go with me? That's the logical question. Why didn't you go with me? Because Ziba said that he, he thought he was going to be the new king. And he said, why didn't you go with me? And look what happened. Look at verse 26. So he answered. He said, oh, my Lord, the king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will settle a donkey for myself and that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. He said, my, my servant came to me and he said, I was deceived. He told me he would fix me a donkey. He told me he was going to get it ready and then I could go out and meet you. And he never came back. He got his own donkey and took off. He said, he lied to me. He lied to me. Look at verse 27. He said, moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, you do what is good in your sight. He said, listen, you, you know what to do. He slandered me. He said, I was going to be the king. He said, I, I would stay behind. I didn't stay behind. I tried to go, but he said he was getting me a donkey. And then he left. And then he told lies about me. And then he says to David, but you know what's best. You know what's best. He knew David would make a wise decision. Verse 28, he says, For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your table. What right do I have yet that I could complain anymore to the king? You know what he says? You gave me everything, David. I had no rights. I could have been killed. You could have put me to death. You didn't. You brought me in. You gave me food. You gave me land. You let me live and eat with you. I have no right to complain about anything. He said, David, it's up to you. 
You do what is good in your sight. He understood that David dealt with him in grace. That David didn't have to do anything for him, and he did everything for him. Now, do you understand it's true for us that God deals with us in grace in every aspect of our lives? What do we deserve from God? Absolutely nothing. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. God in his grace and mercy wrote, reached down to uh, send his son Jesus Christ to die in our place to pay for our sins and offers a gift, a free gift given to us simply by faith that we have eternal life. And he not only does that, not only does he give us eternal life that we have to be with him forever, but he blesses us, he gives us spiritual gifts, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. He does everything for us. Everything we have, everything you do comes from God. All that we have comes from God. His provision, his protection, his blessing, all from God. Do you understand the grace of God in your life and in my life? We don't deserve anything. We're not saying, you know, God, you've been looking at me and I've been really trying hard. No, we hadn't tried hard. In fact, before we ever trusted in Jesus Christ, we were going astray. None righteous, no, not one. Not one seeking God. God in his grace and his mercy saved us and loved us. And Jonathan, uh, I mean, Mephibosheth says, David, you've given me everything. I don't have a right to complain about anything. It's all up to you. What do we say to God? You've given us everything. Why should we serve the living God? You know why? Because he took us when we were dead and trespasses and sins and he made us alive and he gives us eternal life and he gives us spiritual gifts and he gives us the word of God and he gives us everything that we have. Our response to him should be, Lord, I want my life to count for you. What does, does uh, Mephibosheth say? Hey, I'm in your hands. Whatever you think is right, you do. In that same way, we should say to God, you have saved me, you have given me life, You have taken care of me. My life is in your hands. Whatever you want me to do. See, people talk about living for God, and some people say, well, I don't, you know. The bottom line is this. The motivation to live for God is for what he has done for us. He has saved us forever and ever and ever. You'll get to be with him forever. And he has blessed us beyond what we could imagine. So what should we do? We say, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. We should say to God, I give you my life. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I give it to you. That should be our response. That's what Mephibosheth is saying. I don't have any rights. You've always done what is right, and everything you do is good in your sight. And so what right do I have to complain You do whatever you want. You do whatever's best. And that's what we should say to God. God, take my life and do whatever you think is best. Well, watch what David does. It's a little surprising. Verse 29, so the king said to him, why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. He just basically gave Ziba half of what Mephibosheth is supposed to have. You can have it. I have decided divide with Ziba. 
Now, it's a little strange here because David says, why do you still speak of your affairs? David basically says, I don't want to hear any more of what you're saying. And I want to say, David, David, listen to him. <laughs> David says, you, you can go back over there if you want to. And, you know, so, I mean, the bottom line is David. So why? Why would David do this? Well, maybe he didn't believe Mephibosheth completely. Maybe he thought there was some truth to what Ziba said. Or maybe he decides, I will reward Ziba for coming out and helping me. Or maybe he says, I can't figure this out. I'm coming back. I got to get my kingdom back. I got enough on my mind without trying to figure out what happened between Mephibosheth and Ziba. And then maybe he was testing Mephibosheth. Maybe he was going to see how he responded. Because what if he said to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, I'm giving half of everything to Ziba. What if Mephibosheth said, that's not fair. I didn't, he lied. But that's not what Mephibosheth said. Mephibosheth says, whatever you want to do is fine with me. In fact, look what he does say. Verse 30, Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his home. He said, I don't care. Give him all of it. The only thing that matters to me is you made it back. You are the king again. That's what Mephibosheth said. You know, Mephibosheth understands that money's not the thing. And things are not the thing. It looks to me like Mephibosheth is telling the truth. And he, he says, you can have all the money in the world. And you can give it all to Ziba as long as I can be with the king. And you know what the key is? The key isn't things. We've got a whole world of people trying to get everything they can get their hands on. When we all realize the most important thing is our relationships. The key to life is not things, but relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with our family, our relationship with our friends. That's what really counts. Listen, on your deathbed, you know what you're not going to say? You're not going to say, did anybody see the stock market? Did they see how my 401k did? You're not going to say that. You're going to say, where is my family? Where are my friends? And I'm about to meet my God. The most important thing in our life is not things. It's people, your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and your relationship with your friends. That's the key. Mephibosheth gets it. He said, I don't care. You can give him all of it. All I care about is the king has made it back. How do you view possessions? How do you view all this? Maybe put the emphasis on our relationships and not our things. Well, let's meet the second guy. second guy is Barzilla. And the name means Iron Man. And uh, he, he is an Iron Man. And he's, look at verse 31. Now, Barzilla the Gidelite came down from Rogelium, and he went to the Jordan with the king to escort uh, him over the Jordan. He's come down to meet David to get him over the river. Now, Barzilla was very old, being 80 years old. And he had sustained the king while he stayed at Mahan, while he, but he was, a, he was a great man. When David crossed the Jordan River, Barzilla was there with possessions and things to give food and everything. And then while David was on the run and they get ready to fight, Barzilla was there. And now as they're ready to go back across the Jordan River, Barzilla comes to help him cross the river. That's basically it. And, this is and, and so here's what David wants to do. David wants to reward this man for his help. And we're going to talk in a minute about does God reward us for our service? Because David wants to reward this man for his service. 
So look what happens. The king, this is verse 33. The king said to Barzillai, you cross over with me and I will sustain you in Jerusalem with me. He said, what I want you to do is cross over the river and come live with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I yet to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? He said, listen, I, I don't even know how much longer I'm going to live. Why should I go live there? Why should I move away from my home and come live with you in my last years? Verse 35, I'm now 80 years old. Can I distinguish between good and bad? Or can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Or can I hear any more the voice of the singing men and women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my Lord the King? He said, first of all, I can't really distinguish anything anymore. I mean, I can't tell things. I've gotten so old, I can't, I can't hear. He said, I can't hear anything. I can't taste. When I taste food, it all tastes the same to me. And he says, and I can't hear people singing. I can't, you know, and people say something. And I go, what? What did you say? And it's over and over. And so why should I be a burden to you? Because if you bring me across the river, I'm going to live with you. And I can't taste anything. I, I'm just an old man. I don't need to go. I don't need to go. That's what he, that's what he really wants. Now, David wants to reward him. Why? Because he was there. He was faithful. He did what he, he served David. Now, let me tell you something. God's going to reward you. God's going to reward each of us when we serve God. Look at this right here. Judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all, uh, we, 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 that's each one, must appear. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the word bima. It means reward stand. We're going to stand before the, ju- the reward stand of Christ so that each one of us, each one of you, each one may be recompensed. The word recompense means to be given back. It means to be rewarded for the things, the deeds we've done in this body while we're alive according to what we've done. And then it says whether good or bad. And the word bad there means worthless. It means like a rotten banana. It means like something like rotten fruit. That's what the word meant. He's saying, you're going to be judged for what you, this is not sin. This is, you're not going to stand before him and he's going to bring up your sins because your sins are already on Christ. He's going to say, this was good, this was worthless, and you're going to be rewarded for the things that were good. When you stand before him, what do you want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. And as David wants to reward Barzilla, God wants to reward us. And we talk about the crowns and the rewards. And let me just say something. Most, uh, uh, most, many denominations and many groups don't understand rewards in the Bible. They don't teach it at all. In fact, most groups teach that salvation is the reward. That you live right, you do good, you obey, you're, you're good for God, and he will reward you with salvation. Now, salvation is not a reward, it's a gift. When we serve God, we get rewards. Salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone. And so be real careful because there's people who will say, well, you can believe in Jesus, but if you don't do what's right, you never believed or you lose it. And so they're saying, you got to have good works, and good works is what saves you. It does not. Good works is what gets you rewarded, but it has nothing to do with your eternal life salvation. So he says to, to, to David, he said, why should I go? Why should I go? He said, I'm 80, year, I'm 80 years old. He said, he says, why should I go to Jerusalem? It'd be better to stay home. It'd be better to go, it'd better to die at home. Better to die with my family. Better to die that way. Verse 36, he says, your servant would just merely cross over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king compensate me with a reward? He said, listen, I don't really need a reward. I, you know, you're just, you're just so good. I mean, you're so good. Why would I go to Jerusalem? 
Now, he says something else, though. Verse 37, please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. I want to die at home. I want to die where my family is. I want to die that way. However, what? However, here is your servant, Kaham. Let him cross over with my Lord, the king, and do for him what is good in your sight. He says, actually, I've got somebody that could go. You could take it. Here's my servant named Kaham. He's using the word servant. Kaham is his son. Most likely as Barzilla's son is Kaim. First Kings 2.7 says that King David took care of Barzilla's son. And so there he is. And he says, well, look, I don't want to go. I'm too old. I do have a son. I do have a son right here. I do have a servant. I have your servant right here. And he could go with you. Let him go over with my Lord the king and do for him what is good in your sight. The king answered, Kaim will cross over with me and I'll do for him what is good in your sight and whatever you require me, I will do for you. And all the people crossed the Jordan and the king crossed too and the king kissed Barzilla and blessed him and he returned to his place. See, David rewards faithful service. God rewards our faithful service. What do you want to hear him say? Well done. How's he going to say well done to me and you? Is when we live righteously and godly, we serve him, we use the gifts, talents, and abilities, our lives count for him, and when we do that, when we stand before him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to get rewards. We want him to say, well done. What will it be like when you, when me, when I stand before Jesus Christ? Wow. I better get busy. <laughs> okay, so everybody crosses over. Now we're going to see the problem. And here we're going to see Israel is made up, but the, what they call Israel is really 10 different tribes. That's the north. And then Judah and Benjamin come together to be the south. And they're even divided a little bit now because King David was from the tribe of Judah. Judah and Benjamin sort of go together. And so the rest of the tribes... You know, they're not connected with David in that way. And if you remember several weeks ago, some people from the tribe of Judah didn't want David to come back. Some people from Israel didn't. Some people from the northern part wanted him to come back. Well, now all the tribe of Judah says, we want David to come back. Well, the tribes, the northern tribes say, this is not fair. You, you don't get David by yourself. We're all part of this as well. And so the conflict begins. And so instead of joy and happiness... There is conflict. Look at verse 40. Now the king went to Gilgal, and Cain went with him, and all the people of Judah and I, the people of Israel all accompanied the king. They're all coming. And now, uh, by the way, they crossed to Gilgal. Notice I didn't say they went to Jerusalem. They left Jerusalem, went across the Jordan River, stood out there, had the victory of the battle. They come back across the Jordan River, but they don't go to Jerusalem. They go to Gilgal. Gilgal means, the word Gilgal means beginning. It was a city that when Abraham and Isaac and Dad, when they all started, they would go to Gilgal. And every time something big happened and they wanted to start over, they went to Gilgal because it means beginning. Well, now there's going to be David starting back the kingdom. So they all go to Gilgal to get everything started again. And look what happens. Look at the conflict. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why has our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away? Why did the Judah people get you? and brought the king and his household and all of David's men with him over the Jordan. Well, then the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, wait a minute, because the king is our close relative. 
Why are you angry with us? Have we eaten at all about the king's expense or have we done anything? And so now they've got this argument going on. And people from the tribes of Israel, the northern part, is fussing with the tribes of the southern part, Judah and Benjamin, and they're in this argument. And by the way, this starts and it never ends. They're never going to be united the way that King David wanted them to be, and they're never going to be united the way that King Solomon wanted them to be. And after Solomon dies, they divide. Look what, look what, the, look what happens in verse 43. That the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, we have 10 parts in the king. Therefore, we also have claim, more claim on David than you do. Why do you treat us with contempt? Was it not our advice to first bring the king back? We're the one that wanted him to come back. Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. Listen, he says, look, we got, we, we got 10 parts. Y'all only got two parts. We, we should have more with David than you do. But the men of Judah, it says, were harsher. They got in an argument. And listen, this doesn't solve it. You think, well, everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. And this is going to be there for years to come. See, sometimes when there's arguments and sometimes when there's problems and sometimes when there's conflicts, they never get solved, and they're there for years to come. And you know of situations like that. So how in the world do we deal with this? It's so easy in a conflict to argue and to not solve the conflict. So what are we to do? Well, 1 Peter 4, 8 says it's possible. Let love cover. Sometimes if you're having a conflict with somebody, you may just say, listen, I'm just going to let it go. It's not worth it. I love the person. I'm just going to let love cover. I'm just not going to worry about it. And that's what 1 Peter 4, 8 says. Let love cover a multitude of sins. And so sometimes we just let it go. Sometimes uh, we, we respond to humility and we talk and we never return evil. We, we always return evil with good, never return evil with evil, return evil with good. And then here's the key. And this is what we didn't see in this passage. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. When there's a conflict, don't get angry. Don't get harsh words. Don't do what the tribe of Judah did. Have a gentle answer. You're not trying to keep the argument going. You're trying to solve the argument. And we all know that sometimes every one of us in this room at one time or another have been in some kind of conflict with somebody. And we hate it when we're in a conflict with people because we all want to get along. Sometimes within the body of Christ, there's, there's conflicts and problems. And we need to have gentle answers. And we need to show humility. And we need to show love. And that's what we do. Well, this is the beginning of the division. And we're going to see it even through the life of David and through the life of Solomon and then after that. So let me give you some, some quick applications. First of all, let's keep our focus on our relationship with God. I mean, this is really the key. We, we want to focus on God and not things. We live in the richest country in the world. Uh, our poor people, if you, you say, this person's in poverty level. Well, if they went anywhere else in the world, they'd be rich. Our country is so wealthy. It is. It's a great country, the greatest country it's ever been. And, and yet, it's so easy to focus on the things instead of the relationships. Mephibosheth said, I don't care about the things. I care about David. And that's what we should do. Let's focus. Let's put our focus. And, sit, and realize this. First of all, all that we have comes from God. Remember his grace to us? His grace and salvation, his grace in the Christian life, his grace day in and day out. Everything we have comes from God. It is so easy to get caught up with things, but it's really relationships. Relationships are the key to life. Think about your relationship with God. What can you do to develop 
your relationship with God. Think about your family. What can you do to grow closer in your family? And what can you do to grow closer in your friends? And so a lot of your friends are in this room. We're the body of Christ. We, we get to meet together and worship together and serve together and everything. And most of us are really good friends. In fact, there are people in this room that if something happened to you, you'd be calling some people in this room. And so we need to develop those relationships as well. That's really the key. God's grace is amazing, is it not? Never get over the grace of God. You understand that his grace lets you live right now. He doesn't have to let you keep breathing. He doesn't have to. He's letting us live. He's letting us serve him. It's the grace of God. Second, let's just understand God rewards us for our service. He does. He does that. He does. And one of these days when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the rewarding seat of Christ, we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So that means right now we got to be servant. And whatever gifts and talents and abilities you have, take those and use those within the body, using and touching lives for Jesus Christ. The third thing is this. Let's deal with conflict in the proper way. I put this up, that humility and love and communicate and don't return evil with evil, but return evil with good and keep the unity. That's why in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about that the moment a person believes we're placed in unity in the body of Christ. And then he goes on to say, and maintain the unity. And that's our role, is to maintain that unity, keep it going. So let's deal with conflict in the right way, showing humility, let love cover, communicate, make sure we know people understand what's going on, never get people back. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. And keep the unity.